Hello, and welcome to episode 104 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Recently, I've worked with a number of teams to clarify their processes, and it is always a fascinating conversation. I'm amazed that the team has never actually had some of these conversations before. It is just so easy for us to jump in and do the work and figure it out as we go. And then, of course, we get into rhythms, and even if there are bumps along the way, it's rare that we take the time to pause and consider if we've got the right process in place. Are these steps in the right order? Are the decision-making roles clear? And are we optimizing our use of tools and resources so that we don't recreate the wheel every time? So today's episode is about defining a workflow using basic process mapping. Process mapping is a great way to visually document how work happens, in what order, with what steps, tools, resources, roles, etc. If you are an experienced process mapper, I'm going to warn you that my approach is not typical. What I'm about to go through is what I have found to be most useful for teams. It doesn't follow all the standard process mapping rules, but it is easy to do and it generates a lot of clarity, which is what matters most for me and my teams. And because process mapping is visual, the guide for this episode is going to include both a written guide and a video tutorial so that you can see me walk through the example and map it in real time. Both the guide and the video tutorial are available to members of the Modern Manager community, which you can learn more about at themodernmanager.co slash join, or you can purchase them for this episode at mamieks.com slash store. So let's get to it. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Process mapping for me is not just about putting pretty shapes and arrows on a page, and it's not about getting every detail set in stone. It's actually about the conversations you have with your team members to get to that result of how a given process works. Anytime you have a repeatable workflow, you can document it by process mapping and reduce so much wasted time and energy. Plus, when you have new team members, they can more quickly get up to speed. Or if someone goes on vacation or parental leave, they can more easily orient a colleague to their workflow and taking over their tasks. So here's how this episode's gonna flow. First, I'm gonna give you an overview of the shapes and elements you're gonna need when doing your process mapping. Then I'll talk about the process you'll use to actually create the map. And then lastly, I'll walk through an example so that you can see how all of this comes together. So let's get started with my version of the basics of process mapping. First, you capture actions in rectangles. Any type of activity, task, or step in the process will be written inside of a box. All decisions go into diamonds. Decision points should almost always be framed as a yes or no question, so that there can be two flows, a yes path and a no path coming out of the decision. On occasion, I've created multiple paths that come out of a decision, but in this case, there's some factor that's being considered. And based on that factor, you pick the path that best fits the situation. For example, let's say your customer service team that deals with three types of customer calls, people who are calling about billing, returns, and questions about a product. The decision might be where to send the call after the initial conversation. The three paths would easily be defined and the initial customer service rep who answers the call would make the decision as to which path made the most sense. So we've got squares for actions and diamonds for decisions, and we use arrows to show direction which is probably obvious. Next, we've got tools and resources. It doesn't really matter what shape you use for this as long as it's not a rectangle or a diamond. 
I personally like this box that looks kind of like a toolbox or a briefcase. It's got double lines on the left and the right side. But it doesn't really matter. You could use a different color or a different shape. But the point is that for each step, whether an action or a decision, you need to identify what tools or resources are needed. For example, if you're working on a hiring process, you might include the candidate software in the first step, or the interview protocol guide at the point of doing interviews, or the standard offer template when it comes time to make an offer. The idea is to capture these tools and resources so that anyone following the process would know what's available and expected for them to be using. I've seen many teams realize that they should have a template or a tool or a guide or a checklist or something, and that instead, they've been treating this process as if it was a one-off every time. It becomes so much simpler when these tools and resources are there to streamline the work. And as you're going, if you discover that you don't have a tool or resource, but you probably should, you can note that on the page and make a next step to produce it. Okay, so quick recap. We have got rectangles for actions, diamonds for decisions, arrows to show direction, and now this briefcase shape to capture tools and resources. Lastly, we use circles to show the end of a process or to signify when you need to move to a different map to pick up on a new process. It's a little bit confusing when you're looking at a process map and there's not an indication of the end. Sometimes it's hard to tell if the person mapping just forgot to finish it or if it's intentionally an endpoint. And depending on the process, there might be various endpoints. For example, with the procurement process, there might be a decision point on whether to continue to pursue the conversation with a particular vendor based on some criteria like pricing, availability, or quality. If the answer is yes, then the actions continue. But if the answer is no, it could be as simple as one step, a communication letting the vendor know, and then an endpoint. Or maybe it triggers a new process, in which case, instead of going task and end circle, it would go right into a circle that says something like, go to non-vendor relationship management process. And that would kick off another process, which is documented elsewhere. So now that we've covered the basic concepts, it's time to create the first draft of your map. I personally like using a software like Lucicharts, but you can use PowerPoint or another mapping software, and you can even use paper and pencil if you prefer. If you do that, I suggest using sticky notes so that you can move them around. One idea per sticky, and either use different colors or different markers to signify different shapes. Yellow might be actions, blue are decisions, purple are tools and resources, and green are endings. And don't worry about the arrows because we can add those in later. To start your map, walk through your chosen workflow and just brainstorm all the steps along the way. Start with what triggers this workflow. Is it an event, a date, some other action? What puts this workflow into motion? Then start to identify everything that needs to happen any decisions that need to get made. And as you do this, just make it a brain dump. Lay down the activities and decisions in the general order that they go in from left to right, but don't worry too much because you're gonna move things around as needed. I always end up remembering additional steps that I forgot about and have to insert them between these earlier steps. And that's why it's nice to do it either with sticky notes or some sort of software rather than drawing it on paper. My maps at least tend to change quite a bit from their first draft. Once you've done that initial brain dump, Go through the process from left to right and try to figure out if anything is missing or in the wrong order, or if any steps need to be broken down or combined. This is often the hardest part. The most common question I get from teams starting to process map is what level of detail should be included? And unfortunately, the answer is not usually satisfying. And I bet you know what I'm going to say. The answer? It depends. Basically, you want enough detail that someone can follow the workflow accurately and not miss anything critical. 
but not so much detail that it's actually prescribing everything and so overloaded that it becomes impossible to actually follow. You'll see what I mean a little bit later when we go over a specific example from start to finish. As you walk through your map, just give it your best guess as to what needs more detail or task articulation and what can be left at a higher level. It's not important for each step to be equivalent. You might have one string of actions that are at the 5,000 foot view and then some that are at the 40,000 foot view, and then maybe even a few at the 20,000 foot view. And that is fine. It's not about consistency, it's about usefulness. After you've gone through and added or eliminated anything and moved things around so that the order seems right, and by the way, be sure to go through all of the different various paths based on your decision points. You don't wanna leave anything hanging, so you wanna make sure that you followed each of those paths to make sure that they're complete. Now this can sometimes make a map really big and complicated. So if that happens for you, you might take one path coming off a decision and take the entire piece of it and put it onto a new page, onto a new map just for that process. And then coming off that original decision, have a circle that directs the person to that other process. That's what those circles are for, because you don't want this map to contain everything and be so complicated and so detailed and so confusing that it stops being useful. All right, so you've gotten all your actions and your decisions in pretty much the right order. And now it's time to go through it and brainstorm for each action and decision. Are there any tools or resources needed to accomplish it? These could be already in existence, or they could be ideas that you have for things to create that would make that step easier, faster, or better. I tend to mark anything that is not yet made with an asterisk to signal to anyone reading the map that it doesn't yet exist. Now, after you've gone through the tools and resources brainstorm, it's time to consider roles. Who is going to do each of these steps? You can either just add someone's initials or people's names if it's a specific person, or if it's anyone with a specific title or role, you could note that. I tend to just write these inside of the action box. Now it's similar for decisions. Who is going to make the decision? If you really want to get into this, you can use the RAPIDS model for decisions and identify the various ways people will be involved in the decision, like the recommender, the agreer, who needs to give input, etc. If this sounds like something you'd want to use and you haven't yet listened to episode 88, Models and Methods of Decision-Making, I suggest you listen to that next to get a better understanding of how to clarify decision-making processes. If you do go with a RAPIDS or some other roles-based decision model, you might want to number the decisions on your map and then somewhere lower on the page have that RAPIDS matrix for each of those decisions. It can make the map feel a little bit busy but it's easier to have those reference points with the decisions being numbered and then the relevant matrix down below, because when you need that level of clarity, you'll have it. Again, not every decision will need that much detail. Some will just have the decider's initial inside the diamond and that's it. And of course, that's fine because it's not about consistency, it's about usefulness. So at this point, you've put everything down in writing. If you're using stickies, now is the time to create that digital document so that it's easily shareable and editable by others. Because now is the time when you want to bring other people who are part of this overall process into the conversation. Is this how they understood the process to work? What is missing from their vantage point? Are the task owners correct? And what about the decision roles? How about the tools and resources? Even if you're the primary owner of this workflow, it's helpful to have the people who you'll need information from or approval from to take a look at it and have them understand how you're thinking about this flow and when they'll be involved. You can get their input in any way that feels right to you. You could hold a meeting to walk them through it as a group or individually, or you could send it to them and have them leave comments. And then after you've gotten their input, make any final adjustments or talk through anything that you disagree with, because at the end of the day, you all want to understand and agree to the final map. 
And once that's done, time to celebrate because you have finished your first process map. So now that you have your map, it's time to figure out what to do with it. For some people and teams, just having gone through the mapping itself is enough, at least for a while. So it's fine to keep it stored in a file or a digital document and only pull it out when something goes wrong and you need to refer to the map. Or if you have a new team member who needs to be oriented to this workflow. Other times, you'll want to print the map and have it handy. Maybe tape it to your wall or put it in a binder nearby so you can reference it as often as you need. Other times, you may need to input specific tasks into your task system or add a reminder to check the map occasionally to make sure that you're not missing anything. And of course, anytime that you hit a point of friction, go back and check the map to see if you're following the process that you identified. Update the map with a better sequence of events to eliminate or reduce frictions. This should be an iterative process, and the map is a tool to help capture your best thinking as you go. As you consider which process you might want to map first, I suggest starting with one. Pick a process that has been frustrating, one where you always feel like you're looping backwards to revisit decisions or redo work, or where there's often friction between you and other team members. You could also empower one of your colleagues to create the first draft. Maybe share this episode with them and then have them get it started. Either way, you definitely do not need to map every process. Think about which ones will give you the most benefit by being clarified. Now, I want to warn you because some of you might be thinking, this sounds like it's going to take me forever. And other people might be thinking, this sounds great. I can't wait to get started. I'm going to map three processes in the next day. And in reality, it will take probably somewhere between an hour to maybe 10 hours from start to finish. But let me just say that it is totally worth it when you put this in context of the number of hours that have been wasted when a process isn't clear and your roles aren't defined. So keep that in mind if you're feeling concerned about how long this will take, or if you get started and it takes way more time than you anticipated. You are investing these hours up front to save many, many more in the long run. All right. Lastly, for this episode, I am going to go through a quick example walking through a particular process. And to make this as easy to follow, no matter what your role or organization size or industry, the process that we are going to talk through is making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So here we go. First, what would trigger me to begin this process? Maybe it's the time of day. It could be noon or lunchtime, or it could be a hunger pang, which would come around a mealtime, but it could also come at another time. If I want a reminder that at noon I should make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I might put a reminder on my calendar. Then I get to step one. This could be anything from go to the kitchen to get bread from the cupboard to a decision. Is this sandwich for me or someone else? Figuring out what the first step is can sometimes be a little bit confusing, but don't overthink it. Just start at the place that feels natural. So for today, let's assume that I'm making a sandwich and it could be for myself or another member of my household. So my map is going to start with that decision. Now, if I knew that each person always wanted their sandwich prepared a particular way, I might create four paths, one for each of us. But since we sometimes mix it up, I'm going to leave the decision as, is this sandwich for me? Now, if the answer is yes, it will lead me to the next step. Select flavor of jelly. We'll come back a little later to figure out the no path but let's keep going with the yes path. After the jelly, the next step is to select type of nut butter. Then get out all supplies. Let's pause here for a moment because this last step, get out all supplies, could be broken down into many more detailed steps. Get bread, get jelly, get nut butter, get plate, get two knives. But the order that I get those supplies 
isn't really important. So instead, I'll have a tool, which is the list of supplies, and I might even include where they're all kept so that it makes it easy for the person who's taking action on this step to find all of them. I might also include a reference for the earlier steps around jelly and nut butters that list the different types and flavors that we have available in our home. Now, moving along, I've got all my supplies, so the next step could be a decision. Is the bread to be toasted? If yes, this sends me down a path with an extra step on how to toast the bread. And if no, it goes straight to the step, spread nut butter on one slice of bread. Now again, when it comes to the right level of detail, I assume that people following this process will know to open the bread bag, take out two slices, put them on a plate, open the nut butter, etc., etc., etc. But if those weren't obvious steps, if someone would look at the bread bag and be confused about what to do, I might include those kinds of additional details. So now let's just say that the sandwich is made and I'm just about done. Everything is cleaned up and put away. Instead of just ending, I could have another decision point that says, are any of the supplies running low? And if yes, that starts a new process for requesting or ordering replacement supplies. And if no, then the process is over. Now, going back for just a second about that opening decision, is this sandwich for me? If the answer is no, my next step might be to ask the person who it's for, what kind of jelly and nut butter they prefer, and if they want the sandwich toasted. To simplify this step, I might have a template that the person can fill out and I would list that as a tool for this step. Once I have that information, the process will loop back and pick up with my earlier process that was defined, starting at Get Supplies. I didn't touch on roles for this because this process is owned 100% by myself, but if there were other people who were going to be involved, I would want to make sure that I noted those too. I hope this gives you a general sense of how the mapping process goes. There's no right way and there is no perfect map. It's not meant to make you crazy. It is really just about clarity and usability. That is what matters most. The mini guide for today's episode is available at themodernmanager.co slash mini guides. It includes an overview of the types of information you want to include in your map. The full guide includes a complete overview of process mapping and that video tutorial. To get the full guide to today's episode, join the Modern Manager community or purchase the guide at my store. Go to themodernmanager.co slash join to learn more about the different membership levels and become a member and get access to more than 40 episode guides, dozens of guest bonuses, and lots of other member perks. That's themodernmanager.co slash join. If you want just this episode guide, you can get it at mamieks.com slash store. All the links are in the show notes and they're in your inbox along with the free mini guide if you subscribe to my newsletter. You know that website themodernmanager.co. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T eor.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.